0: This is episode number 583 with Revolve co-founder Michael Mente. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the School of Greatness podcast. We are starting out powerfully in the new year, and I am just so pumped to be here with all of you. You know, again, as I reflect back on how amazing the last year was and really where we're headed to with this podcast, almost five years of the podcast happening, and it just blows my mind to reflect on what we've been building together and the movement of greatness that we're all on board with. So thank you all for, again, being a part of this journey. We've got another powerful interview today. His name is Michael Mente, and he's the CEO and co-founder of Revolve, which is a popular online fashion retailer that's become one of the leading trendy fashion brands today. And here's what I love about it. Revolve was founded in 2003. So in a world where everyone wants to start and launch something quickly and have it sell and make millions of dollars in the first year or first few months... They've been around for a long time, pre-social media. They've had to learn and constantly reinvent and re-evolve their brand and their audience and, and so many different strategies to continue to grow. Uh, again, they've, they're getting close to a billion dollars in sales a year right now. And it just continues to grow and grow and grow, right? And they have almost 2 million Instagram followers. They've got millions of email subscribers. They've got a large following, but one of their keys has been getting the biggest celebrities and influencers to feature their clothes and, and come to their big events and parties. And they are the brand and the event to go hang out at, at at Coachella and other big events that are happening around the world. And I love the strategy behind what they do to find these partnerships with influencers and celebrities and get people to come to their events, which helps their overall brand and overall sales, which we're going to be talking about today. is First, how to build trust with your audience When you're a pioneer in your industry, how do we build that trust? Also, how to decide what and when to scale in your business. The best ways to build relationships with influencers. So how do you get these influencers to really get excited about your brand when you're just starting out? We cover that. Also, how to deal with massive competition in your industry. The online fashion space is is constantly becoming more and more competitive with every influencer now having their own brand. So how do you compete with that? Also, why balance is as necessary as work ethic in order to succeed. And again, as someone who's been grinding it out and hustling for over 15 years now, we talk about really why balance is something that's important to Michael. Before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to the fan of the week. This is from... Alec Maggio, who says, I think I'm addicted, and he left a review over on iTunes, and Alec said, wow, I just found this podcast a week and a half ago, and it's all I've been listening to since. I really feel like a changed man inspirational, compelling, motivational, and so much more. You have shown me a completely new world of ideas. Thank you so much for what you do. I now can't wait to see what life has in store. This podcast is what makes me get out of bed in the mornings. Thank you. Well, Alec, thank you for being The fan of the week, and uh, thanks for being a a big supporter now, even though you just got in tune with us a week and a half ago. If you guys want a chance to get shouted out on the podcast, make sure to go to iTunes and leave a review. Or you can go on your podcast app right now on your iPhone and leave a review in iTunes right there. And uh, we pick winners every single week to give shout-outs as well. If you think you know someone in your life who could use this inspiration, this information, these tools, these strategies to help improve your life, improve your business, improve your health, your relationships, every aspect of your life, we're looking to take to the next level. That's what the movement of the School of Greatness is. How do we improve our lives on every area so we create maximum impact, maximum fulfillment, and maximum income? in the process. So don't forget about that as well. I'm very excited, guys. We've got so many good things happening this year. All right, guys, I'm pumped for this episode right now. It's lewishouse.com slash 583. Go ahead and take a screenshot and tag me on Instagram as you're listening to this. We've also got the full show notes and full video interview back at that link there. lewishouse.com slash 583. Without further ado, This is all about building a billion-dollar brand, scaling it up, and the art of influencer partnerships with Revolve co-founder and CEO, Michael Mente. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that the U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces, like the SEALs and Army Rangers, call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut. If you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. Weeks. Head to netsuite.com greatness. Netsuite.com greatness. Again, head to netsuite.com greatness. Welcome back everyone to the School of Greatness Podcast. We have Michael Mente in the house, man. Thank Good you. To see you. Super glad you're here. We got connected earlier this year. Someone mentioned me about you. I didn't know who you were until someone brought up your name. And then as I started digging in deeper, Learning about you being one of the founders of Revolve, uh, this fashion brand that's been around for 15 years now. Almost, about, 15, almost 15 years, 15 crazy years enough. Has now blown up. It seems like every big celebrity influencer on Instagram promotes you guys. Is at some event. It doesn't matter who it is. It's like everyone is promoting you in the female fashion space. We were talking earlier, you're gearing up close to hitting a, almost a billion in gross sales, total gross sales for the for the brand, which is... Impressive,
1: man. Thank you so, so much. Congratulations! Thank man. you, and thanks for having me. It's such an honor to be here. Of course, man. Yeah. learned so much from you uh, from the podcast and books, so it's such yeah. a privilege to be here. Of thanks course. for having me. Of course.
0: And you started, I think you said, back in 2003. Yes. Pre- Social media pre-Google,
1: yes, right?
0: Or maybe Google was around, but They it was were like around,
1: small. and they, they were a uh, little smaller than Yahoo at the time. Yahoo yes. was still actually how we learned. That was the first digital marketing we ever did was Yahoo, when they Yahoo. put us on the map. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: You're promoting on Yahoo, and so much has evolved in terms of, like, marketing Definitely. in the last 10, 12, 15 years, right? Definitely. When it's social, crazy. When social media came around, Early on, I remember it was Twitter was a big thing. Were you even using Twitter to promote, or was it not even an effective platform for you guys? Because you yours is more of a visual,
1: seeing the clothes. Exactly. Like, right? For Twitter, that was one thing that like, I know so many people use it as a great tool, but I can never crack it. We can never figure it out because it just wasn't visual enough. Right. So honestly, we missed the boat when it was the sweet spot of Facebook days. Like We really were great in the Google days, but we didn't really quite get Facebook right. But then when Instagram came out, that was something that, you know, where a lot of the things we were trying to do were really able to be leveraged in Instagram in that kind of like 2010 and beyond era. But there was definitely so many different phases of having to, you know, evolve and get better and right. uh, stay current.
0: Would you say a lot of your sales, gross sales, come from Instagram right now? Or is it pretty diverse?
1: I think it's really diverse. And I think ultimately all of the channels kind of interact where it's like, Someone may see something on Instagram, but then go on, you know, Google to search for it. Or someone may, you know, Google something, but then ultimately see an ad elsewhere. We're really known for Instagram at the moment because I think, you know, a lot of the strategy is a little bit more ahead of the curve and a little bit more pioneering. We're doing a couple of different things, or a uh, strategy that other people are, are, you know, learning from. But that's just one layer, and then there's you know, many other layers that have to be sure, built. Sure. So it's just a stack. And I think that's, that's the thing. It's not just Instagram, boom, it's all good. It's like there's the, you know, the fundamentals mm-hmm. of Google, which we did, you know, back in right. the day. And it's still huge. I think Google's still a massive part of our budget. Really? And then of really? course Facebook, Instagram, email, email, everything. Email's
0: probably where you get the direct results from. You know, when you send something out, you can see Definitely. sales coming in, obviously. What made you early on,
1: you know, in 2003, say, I want to get into women's clothes? You know what's funny it was purely analytical. And like in those really? yeah, it was purely analytical. And in those days, a real good friend who's uh, you know, still a business partner of ours kinda showed us, you know, what the company he was working at where you can you can actually see results of how many people were searching for what terms. right? And then you could also see really transparently how much it would cost to be listed on Yahoo, um, you know, first or second or third. So there's this awesome transparency where we can see people are searching for this. When you do the actual fashion or or shirts or or skirts or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then you see the results and they're like, sometimes there'd be results where like, none of the results are selling the products. So we kind of like, stumbled upon it and we realized that fashion there was a lot of people searching for fashion brands but the fashion world was a little bit you know slower to come you know slower to they adopt were doing technology retail, they weren't doing online exactly they were just
0: uh, expecting you to come into stores or whatever or print, Definitely. print ads print were, ads yeah. so it was
1: a different world so there was like an opportunity there wow. we tried a lot of different things and we were like okay a lot of quick failures, of course, <laughs> in the early days. We thought this brand's gonna be big. This is gonna be whatever, and it was like nothing, crickets. But then we came across again by chance that designer denim ended up being like very important at that time, and that was also something where people were just hearing about it, uh, younger consumer, and it was hard to find in physical stores, or very limited supply in physical stores, and mm. they, they had to go online, and that's kind the of where Premium denim. Yeah.
0: Wow. And so you saw it as an opportunity more than anything. You weren't necessarily passionate about female underwear, yeah. right? You weren't like hey, in different ways, not <laughs> right, <selling> exactly, it. <laughs> exactly. But you weren't like trying to say I want to become like the new Victoria's Secret. Yeah, you were just like, here's an opportunity that people are missing out on. This whole internet thing is taking off. There's a big opportunity, and these brands are missing out on it. But at the beginning, you didn't create your own brands. Whereas now you have 12 different brands. Yeah, like, I think
1: 13 now. 13, but it's crazy. Now,
0: but then you were just—was it you
1: were buying it wholesale and, and then selling it online? Were you drop a, shipping? Were you yeah, you? exactly? It was buying wholesale, storing it in the house, <laughs> really? and then shipping it to the consumer. And I think we were very lucky again that uh, you know we were in the area in Los Angeles and. All the showrooms, you know, 90% of the brands we carry have showrooms in Los Angeles. So that was another, you know, aspect of luck that we stumbled upon kind of that access and did a lot of homework there. So you could find people, get them at a really cheap wholesale rate. They would trust you guys and build a relationship. And It was go. a lot of uh, trust building. A lot of people yeah. were like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> like, this is weird. No one was doing that. No, I give like, yeah, very, very few. Like, some of the department stores, you know, had kind of early websites that were kind of Experimental, not necessarily as serious. So they right. existed, not much. There was literally a lot of brands with like, you know, next to nothing. Or the competitors were there, were like still quite young. They may have been like one or two years old as well. So sure. it was kind of like early, early days. Which kind of like Zappos was for shoes. Exactly. This you know, Zappos was our was. model. There was like something that like, we did the same exact things at the same time kind of just by observing the marketplace and we kind of weren't aware of them. But then, of course, we then we start to see them blow up and become something and we had to evolve to something else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow. Okay. Did you guys launch the same year or were they before you guys? They we have launched maybe a year before us or so. I mean, kind of the same period. Yeah. Didn't Amazon buy them? Yes, the Amazon bought them. For like a billion or something? I think, if I mean maybe a little, yeah, about a billion and change and that was probably right around recession time. Mm, 2009 or something? Yeah, I think around then. Yeah, I think I remember something about... Their VCs sending out a letter where they everyone had to like you know, buckle it. down. They and, needed to sell it exactly. Because wow. how much were they doing in sales? Do you remember a year? I don't remember actually. I don't remember what the multiple no. went, what was going on then. I, yeah, I yeah. wonder if they were
0: reaching a billion in sales. You don't think they were?
1: It, it depends on the depends measurements. Revenue is yeah. yeah. I think I remember reading the book. And I don't remember the exact year, but they did. I think they did hit a billion in gross sales yeah. prior to the acquisition. Right. Right. Okay. Interesting.
0: What were you doing before
1: all of this? Weren't you in a software business or something? Yeah. You know, before I was lucky enough to be, you know, in college during that first dot com boom, but not lucky enough to like be out in the workforce like, long enough to really capitalize. So I worked at a software startup and that's where I met my business partner. The best thing that was of that whole experience, I met my business partner. And this was, you know, 2000, 2001. And it was a random software startup that right was right out of like, college. Right out of college. And, and you like, went to school for. As an engineer, or what did you go to school That's for? funny. I went to school to specifically to USC because they have a great entrepreneurship program. Yeah. But the funny thing is I left a year early to uh, you know pursue startup work. So I, ne- I never actually did the entrepreneur program. So it was actually a, a finance background, okay. a finance major. Cool. And the all cool right. thing is that now my business partner manages all the finances, and, he, so, and great. so it's ironic. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing.
0: So you guys met at the software company. The company didn't work out, or you just... We're like, let's try something else.
1: Yeah, it was just, just like all oh, you know, ninety nine percent of the other startups of that day. That were just a lot of uh, a lot of capital flying around and a lot of startups. And conceptually, I still you know I still think that it was software systems that help manage enterprise strategy. And I think you know we still do it a little old school, where it's like PowerPoint and Excel. Yeah. And like you know the idea of making it a little bit smoother and easier and simplified, but also with depths of data integrated. I, I like the concept still but also the methodology and things. There's a lot of challenges there. And it was also that time where like, selling software to corporate America was like you know, very exciting in like, the 90s. Sure, sure. Was There's big. a lot of big companies doing awesome things. And then now, you know, post-internet era, that kind of model is a little bit right. different. You know, right.
0: Did you always know you wanted to be an entrepreneur or start your own
1: business growing up? Or was this something through the years that you kind of developed? I think there was always something there. And I think it was not necessarily an entrepreneur, I think for me the criteria was very clear is that I wanted to be in a field where like I could put as much as I can into it and get as much as you know I can out of it. And there was not necessarily, you know, time limitations or educational limitations or this very structured path where I can just go all in, assume some risk, which I guess is, you know, very entrepreneurial. But, you know, I thought that potentially could have happened in other paths, I, you know. Like an engineer or something like that. That was, you know, debating, you know, becoming a programmer and working in the world from that side of things, but ended up going straight to pure entrepreneurialism, like uh, out the gates. What
0: would you say is the biggest inspiration for you guys right now? Is there a brand or a person that inspires you from what they're doing?
1: You know, that's a tough one. I think think all my examples, maybe, are. um, A little bit cliche, but super amazing, man. Like Jeff Bezos is incredible. Like, you know, the way he started his business and the way through the different, you know, changes of the world and the different opportunities, he's been able to grow and build and adapt as the world changes, sees opportunities, big opportunities and pursues them, but still has an extremely long-term, very, very ambitious goal. I think that's probably a lot of uh, inspiration for a lot of people, but definitely someone that we look up to very much. Sure,
0: sure. What about Wexner? That's Wexner from Limited Brands. Is that a guy that you're aware of?
1: Not super. I, I think, think he started Victoria's Secret too. I think. Yes, I think those guys, and also uh, Ortega at Zara. You know, yeah. you know, top five richest people in the world making clothes. It's uh, Crazy, incredible. Right? It's incredible. Is he from Spain? Is that where this? Spain. Or? Yes, and that's, that's the top five richest. I think so. And the coolest thing to me is that For Zara. Huh? Yeah. I think they actually have multiple chains, but I think Zara is right. the biggest one. I don't know, like. A lot of things on a personal level, we look up to him in the sense that like does zero press, super low key. And I think that my partner and I would like to do that. I don't know if you can do that in this world anymore where people like, you know, where the consumer really wants to know the big corporate Who's anonymity. Yeah. yeah. So I think, you know, it's a different world or else uh, that, you know, that's, uh, but that's something that we respect about him and the, the, obviously the massive business that he's built there. Right. So, What would you say is one of the biggest risks that you've taken that
0: paid off and the one that hurt you the most? we mm. have been doing this for 15 years now.
1: I think the biggest risk was really you know, when we first started because we started with just our own capital and we were, call it, two years out of college. So whatever we can save about it for two years was like, all right, this is what we got. Let's figure something out. Let's buy some clothes <laughs> and promote <laughs> exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> so we probably, I mean, it doesn't sound massive, but for us it was like the biggest bet we ever made. But to launch the website and have like our first tester selection was probably about... I think it was $16,000 specifically. And I was like, all right, let's buy $16,000 worth of clothes, see how this goes. Worst case, I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe we'll, we'll recover half of it on eBay or something right. weird like that. And they start selling one-by-one one somewhere or whatever. But that was kind of like that big leap of faith where it was like the minimum amount of investment we can make but still have a big enough test where we can see if this worked. So that was probably the biggest risk that paid off. And what happened
0: when you guys launched it with those $16,000? dollars worth of You know, years. it's
1: funny like the first few brands that we thought were going to be awesome didn't work and one of the second uh, you know second tier brands which was a little bit less you know significantly less known worked for us. It was like a like there was like the big denim brands and this was like a second tier denim brand and you know celebrities were wearing them it was like a little bit more culty and that worked for us. So then we started buying more and more and more. And then, because you know, those guys were actually the only ones who would sell to us. The, the big brands at the time wouldn't sell to us. So we're like, we're gonna go to your competitors and see who would be interested. And then, someone believed in us or someone needed that support <laughs> and needed to sell. <laughs> we'll sell some clothes, <laughs> Yes, yeah. you have money, we'll take it. <laughs> and it worked. And that was, you know, really, uh, you wow. know, what got that initial momentum. It wasn't out the gates, but it was probably like. Five, six weeks in, we're like, okay, we've got something now. After it was, wow. yeah. When did
0: you realize that you actually had a business that could continue to take off? Was it right in that moment? Was it year two and three when, after like testing a bunch of stuff? We were like, oh, we have a brand that did like a million dollars in sales and now we can keep
1: growing. It was early, but also maybe never in the sense that- Really? Like, yeah. Like, like still today. Still no. <laughs> today. <laughs> it takes to some degree because we've been through some challenges, some interesting times where like in the early days, it was like, we started to sell some stuff. We started to see some consistent business. And the first standard was, I think this can support both of us living. <laughs> right. That was like, yeah, so like yeah. where we can like continue to work and we don't have to get jobs. And I think that was probably in, you know, the first three to six months or so where, like, you know, we were still like, we were still probably like collecting unemployment checks, just trying to figure things out right, at that right. point. So I think fairly, you know, early on. Uh, we're, know, like, like, we're
0: making a few thousand a month. Like, like it covers yeah. the bills. We can yeah,
1: eat, yeah. we can, uh, you know, we can pay the rent. And then, so that was kind of like the first level. But of course there was still, you know, it's still very fragile, but then... The company continued to grow. But then 2008, we almost went out of business.
0: Because of the recession. The recession. Really?
1: Yeah, like really. like Within a two-week period, sales dropped by 40%. And we had no financial backers. It was just us. Uh, and the whole kind of industry just kind of like massive slowdown. You know, all of the you know department stores, everyone just discounted the whole stores at fifty percent off, and it just it was just a really crazy time. So even though at that point we were doing maybe forty to fifty million dollars, we were still like fighting for our lives, you know. And uh, we had no financial backers, and of course that's when all the banks in those scary times. That's when all the the money goes away. When, right. So that was a challenging time too. So I think we always still have this little bit of edge of like. 07, we thought, well, we're really ahead, and then 08, we're fighting for our lives. And I think now we still have that that scar and that fear, like really? you know, like that you know that recession survivor mentality, where it's like, gotta be very protective. You know, who knows what's right. going to happen? There's always wow. elements of risk, so we're always on our toes. That's but I think, ten years though. It's yeah, been ten
0: years from there, but you're still like, okay, let's make sure we have money for a rainy day or for whatever, right? Exactly. Exactly. And then, did you take on investors at some point? off your next 12 pack, head to Amazon and use promo code 20 Pure Leaf. That's promo code 20pureleaf for 20% off.
1: Around nine years into the business, we took on investors. And I think that was actually one thing that a risk that we did not take that ended up being really good for us. And that from the founding to the recession, we met a lot of investors and we saw a lot of interesting things, but like, we just didn't feel like we can be partners with somebody you know it felt like you know it's pretty it was exciting to be like here's a tw- you know you're 25 and here's like a 20 million dollar check and i think that took a lot of like discipline on our part to be like no we don't really want your money we don't want really partners with you we'll we like what we have and we're going to protect what we have because you're going to have a different vision and values that than we we're going to have and i think that was you know super important but in 2012 we'll take the meetings from time to time and we turn down you know a lot of different things but we really felt we found someone who really understood what we were trying to do in a, in a nuanced way. It was like a lot of the money in the times past. And I think this mistake has happened to you know, other entrepreneurs in the fashion space when a lot of technology investors try to build it and scale it like a technology company, but really more of a consumer brand company. And I found the right investors who really, we felt that understood that. And it's been great since then. Really? You know, that was about, yeah, it was, it's, uh, it'll be five years ago in like, Five on the dot in like 10 days. Wow. It's been a good relationship. Amazing. And Are you able to share how much you raised? Is that public? Or no? That's public, yes. Yeah. It was um, 40 million. 40 million from one investor or venture one capital? Fund? One, one uh, private equity firm. Pri- gotcha. and it's like a little bit blended and blurred. And there was like a portion of it went you know, to the business and then a portion of it went to you know, my partner and I. Uh-huh. And I think that there's a number of different things where it all made sense. Where after the recession, we were scared, very, very conservative. And we were, you know, leaving money on the table. We were not scared to just keep putting all the money back into the business as we did for the previous Mm -hmm. nine years because there's there's no cushion. So (laughs) this was the perfect situation where we can build a little bit on the side, you know, personally where we could be a lot more aggressive with the business again. And I think that mentality really, really changed the business because since then, our growth has accelerated. Since then, you know, the business has, in the past five years, the business has probably... You know between four or five times the size, so it's been like super beneficial wow. for both of us and it wasn't necessary that money into the business, which of course helps but, you know that's you know no doubt was an important part, but it was really of the mindset of like be aggressive again and pursue it. the yeah. opportunities there. it's a great time to pursue things.
0: do you believe that it's really challenging for a company to grow past a certain point without infusing an investment of ad and media spending? Do you think it's going to be really hard unless you're investing back into the promotional side of things
1: I guess it depends on
0: and bringing out more people yes. or can you grow with you know the same a small group and continue to two three four x every year
1: I guess it depends on how fast that growth is and like what type of the business it True. is you know True. what I mean like for us dealing with physical products like certain aspects have to grow like there's this portion of the business that has to grow as like the revenue grows where just like things like Customer service, picking and packing, things like that. But then there's for us there's also other organizations that don't have to grow as much. Like this team is awesome, the company can be three four times as big, and this team can grow ten percent because they're built, they're amazing, they work together well. Systems, processes, exactly. So I think it really does, you know, vary. But also depending on the business, we really see that you know back into marketing. I guess it depends on the kind of marketing plans where it's like, if there is a good plan, I feel like we have a good plan, we're in invest mode where we think we have something that works. But there's been periods in times past where there wasn't extra opportunity to invest the money. So we had to be a little bit more patient where certain channels for us, like say a lot of the digital channels, like we have to be disciplined because if you want to put more money to work, it gets way less efficient. So it's like we're calibrated at a good level. But our brand spend, we feel actually the more you spend, it actually gets easier and, and there's definitely some scalability for it. Really? So there's these two aspects of marketing that operate, they work together, but they have like kind of different principles and different approaches and we have to separate the two.
0: And when you mean the brand spend, you mean more of like the influencer events and things influencer like that?
1: Influencer events and kind of like brand uh, media and yeah, things yeah. like that versus like the digital side where mm-hmm. it's like a little bit more functional where it's like the Google and the sure, Facebook sure. and like the, you know.
0: Now this is something I think you guys do really well as you've figured out a way to like curate all these top influencers, whether it be from Instagram or YouTube or just social media influencers and celebrities in general. And you do these really high-end curated events for them, right? Definitely. Where you'll go to different destinations, you'll create content for them, you'll give them clothes, create content, bring them together, you create a unique experience. I feel like that's one of the things that I learned about you guys early on is something you did because I saw your guys' brand everywhere promoted by these influencers. Now, What's the process for that? Or how much are you allowed to share that of, of what you guys do there? And why are they effective? And do you think more people should be really tapping into influencers in general for their brand?
1: Yeah, definitely. This is an exciting part of the business. And I think they, a part that I spend a lot of time. But for us, the interesting thing is that like it has been very organic and very long-term where we first started working with influencers you know, in two thousand and nine I believe. Really. And that was before they were called influencers. So it's yeah, kind of yeah. like it was like they were all bloggers at the time. And like sure. everyone and that was a platform. You have to literally create your own platform to communicate with the world. And that was uh-huh. like before, you know, Facebook was really core and before Instagram was so visual. So that was something that we've been developing, and nurturing, and evolving for many, many years. The world has continued to evolve, and as you know, of course, we're staying very focused on how things go. So, our previous experience and you know relationship with influencers, experimenting with blogs and such, really made a lot more sense with the rise of Instagram. So that created a good platform and, and centralized platform for you know all of our consumers as well as like all of the influencers to be. And as that's continued to get bigger and bigger and bigger, it's been more and more powerful. We've done some stuff where it's funny. You know, actually, after this, I'm going to go to a meeting to think about you know collaborations with influencers and the ideas are actually ideas that we tried 4 or 5 years ago and weren't as powerful but we were a little bit ahead of, of the curve then so it's been a long time spent but i think the one thing you know for us that's been really key is that it has to just really be authentic and organic i think if it was a situation where you could spend money and receive the returns. Right. The big guy would always win, you know, the, the corporate course. guys would just be throwing money everywhere and it would work. But I think like, you know, for it to work, I think it really has to be genuine and authentic and unique the, and creative, Exactly. Yeah. Like the influencer really in my opinion really has to be a fan of the brand for it to really work versus attempt to sell something that they don't necessarily mm-hmm. care, you know, about. care about. Yeah. yeah. So I think so that was that, super important.
0: Yeah. When did you realize like, wow, this event was a massive success? You these, know, like celebrity it's, influencer.
1: It's been so gradual. I think that's really? the benefit. And I think that's also our mentality of like, test it a little bit, invest, you know, as minimum as possible, but enough to get a proper test and then try to scale it up. We're never too aggressive up front. So I think, you know, a good example of this is um, actually yesterday, the team was out in Palm Springs prepping for Coachella. And I think we're starting to get known for the biggest party at Coachella. And I think last year was incredible. I think we had massive parties, super fun, thousands of people. I think it was kind of like a rival to the actual festival kind of unintentionally (laughs) so that was you know amazing and the thing was like it was um you know we had thousands and thousands of people it was completely free for everyone and afterwards like maybe we should have charged people but the funny thing is it was a very humble beginning where the first Coachella event that we have wasn't really an event I think it was I believe it was 2010 and it was with just two friends who were influencers who are still good friends to this day. We all just went and rented a house, just like friends, like, like everyone does. And uh, it really started to make a little bit of sense of like, we can make this not just fun. I think next year we can make it a, a business marketing opportunity. So they went from two influencers, you know, my good friends, you know, Ami and Julie, who were actually going on a trip together in, I guess only in 10 days. But then the next time we did it a little bit bigger, you know, uh, you know half Ten a dozen four, people. So yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. And, then, and then last year, I think there was between the people that we hosted and people coming, I think it was several, I think close to 500 or so, something crazy like that. Influencers? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just crazy now. Holy cow. 500 influencers will come to an event. I think the key is just try to deliver something that like we would want to go to. So we had like, you know, a mini festival. So we had like... Rick Ross perform and Migos perform and, you know, Ray Schremer and, you know, actually Drake ended up coming and Leo was there and Kendall was there. Kendall Jenner and, like, you know, it was just, like, we gotta host people, show them an authentically good time that we would want to come to. Like, that's kind of the goal. Like, would we line up to go to this party? If we don't, if we aren't here, are we gonna be, you know, FOMO? Right, right. And I think that's kind (laughs) of, like, the standard and I think ultimately really being in the eyes of delivering something to them and I think ultimately it comes back of course yeah so tell me the model of like a trip you're going to be doing like you're going on a trip soon
0: how does that model work how many influencers will go what do you provide for them is it more about like just having a good trip and experience to some exotic location where you've got video and photographers taking great content for them that they can use and if they're wearing the clothes great kind of how does the whole thing work how much would it cost
1: See, I, th- I think we've developed a way where you know our methodology is like we can do it on different scales. So over the course of the last year, with smaller, you know, probably the smallest one may have been um, maybe like five or six. The biggest one will be a month in the Hamptons with like maybe seventy, like you know, every weekend for four weeks. We'll do, and, and there'll be maybe twelve influencers per weekend. We've developed a way where it's scalable, where we don't have to do a month long thing, where we can do. A three or four day, you know, event. Sure, so sure. I think, so I think that's also the benefit of we've been able to, you know, figure out the nuances of that. And each time is, you know, there's core principles, but then there's a lot of things uh, that are completely different. Mm-hmm. But I think the core. Some of, people you're
0: paying, other people they're getting just like swag, and they're getting their trip paid for, and it depends on kind of like the level of person it is. It's or
1: a total, total range. It really yeah, depends yeah, it on it depends. the people where this. The people that we work with will be literally the, the biggest big. fashion influencer on the planet. Or you know, sometimes, you know, on, on one of the trips, it'll be, like, someone who's been working with us for many, many years is, you know, literally, like, 0.01% of that person, but still is just well, abandoned you, know, va- you know, In a good little community. Exactly. Yeah. So there's a whole range of people. So it's, uh, you know, entire spectrum. But really, it's just, like, for us, it's, it's so cool in that, like, the concept of just, like, living your best life, it's also this combination of what, like, what do we think is awesome? Because it's probably going to be relevant right. to them and it's going to be relevant to our consumer. A mistake we always used to do was like, what would other co- companies do? And, and then when we like, you know, looked in the mirror, like, what do we really want to do? And we started like, oh, maybe we should you know, go here and do that. Or like, sure. you know, maybe we should go to Croatia for the summer and do this. And we're like, okay, let's try it out. Yeah. We, we, we built on some successes Fair. and it worked awesome. So now, now we're like, okay, what else do we want to do? I think it is like the combination of really showing people a genuinely good time. I think that when you see the photos, there's just an, a sense of fun and like people are really enjoying themselves. And I believe it's because people really are enjoying themselves. It really shows the visual imagery, of course, is an important part of it. It wouldn't be as exciting um, mixing in with just like us you know, sure. Shake Shack or whatever, right, maybe, right, right. you know what I mean? Sure, having, sure. But you know, having like a very beautiful kind of aspirational, but still accessible kind of lifestyle that's genuinely fun and i think ultimately like the way i look back to and of course i think this is different for everyone's brand but i think what we sell is like a premium aspirational product that's still accessible something that you aspire towards and you crave but also something that's still inclusive that a large portion of the market can really afford and this type of product is meant for being social in the sense that you know we sell all apparel categories but really it's like that that feeling you get when you put as a dude like whether it's uh, hanging out with your friends or, or going out to like a party or like you're going to like a really business event, you put on your nice shirt or jacket, and then you, feel you just feel good. Or you even just go to the gym, you're like you got your nice gym clothes, you're like I'm ready to work. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the kind of feeling of fun and socializing that we try to capture with kind of just our broad marketing. That's what our yeah, brand is it's about. Great. It's
0: great. great. Now, if you're a, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that do listen, and for those that haven't tapped into influencer marketing or celebrity marketing. Uh, yet, but they they want to tap into it. Maybe they don't have these massive budgets, but they've got a little bit of money to spend, and they may be in fashion or some other type of business. Doesn't matter any type of brand. How would you suggest is a good way to start approaching influencers uh, and celebrities in order to get them to promote their brand or be a part of their brand? You know, is it through? Because I get sent swag all the time, and I'm like, I just throw it away. So, what's the creative way that you think works for you guys that any brand, small or big, could use as like reaching out to potential influencers? You know, I think like the, And building those relationships because you've done an amazing job of keeping
1: the relationships too, right? Yeah, sustaining those relationships. And that's I think that's a big part of it. That's an important part. Yeah. But like in this day and age, it's easy to actually contact them, whether you're like DM or yes. LinkedIn or or you know whatever research Twitter, you can do. Whatever, yeah. So it's easy to like establish that. But I think it's like, one, there's a whole range of influencers from like, you know, super mega to like, you know, micro and local. Mm -hmm. They are powerful in their own ways. So I think it's first finding the influencers that truly resonate with the brand. You know, understanding what, you know, your brand is about and then finding the people that really represent that. I think that, you know, it has to be real. It's not just... Bigger the better, like, you know that that the more numbers the better. Of course, that's relevant. But at the same time, you also we all have budgets, and so we can't just work with the biggest and yeah. best. There's plenty of people that I would love to work with. that I just feel like it would be, you know, financially irresponsible to mm-hmm. do so. So, I think finding the influencers. Like Kim Kardashian might be like way too much for exactly. a post, Right. Yeah. And it's like you can do it. It's possible. I'm sure like a lot of us can do it. Is it going to make sense? Does she really represent the brand in that yeah, right way? Right. Maybe there makes sense for some brands where she, you know, her personal brand is in complete alignment with, you know, sure. the brand. But I think that has to be there. And then just approaching people as like genuine fans where it's like, you know, people that we work with, we really respect and admire. You know, there's people that we don't work with because they're just not necessarily are, you know, the type of people that we want to work with. But like the people that we really work with are people that we're, we're genuine fans as well. And I think that'll come across as uh, important that what they're doing mirrors and reflects and is aligned with what we're trying to do and finding those, those right people. And I think that sense of like upfrontness of you know attempting to work in professionalism with that genuineness of like, I'm really a fan of what you right, do. Right. I think we can do this, something awesome together. And also thinking long-term where it's not just... Um, one and done let's you know can we uh, can you tag me or can we do right. this but like how can we work together in mutually beneficial ways that you know and I think that's an important thing that what can you offer them yes <clears throat> and like, yeah, that's when I guess that's like the be- that's the core of business right where it's like you're building greater than the parts like together you guys are more powerful than you guys are you know alone the influencer and the brand or business partners or whatever and I think that's something to always keep in mind as well is like yeah. how can you support them and if the brand alignment is there if uh, you know the brand and product or service is aligned with the influencer then it should be quite clear that sure. both can build together
0: yeah no, I'm, I'm making an assumption here you tell me if I'm wrong but I'm assuming you can, you can reach out to them and say hey we'd love to do you know just a free photo shoot or video shoot a lifestyle of like just you and your day and we're happy to give you some of the clothes or we can just give you some great photos that you can use, might be something that you do. I'm not even sure, but...
1: No, totally on that level. Like there's, uh, you know, especially when it's very scrappy and bootstrap days, yes. that's exactly how we'd approach things where it's yeah. like, we don't, you know, we definitely can't, you know, we don't have this budget. We don't even have a budget, especially when right. we first experimented. And I think when we did actually start working with influencers, it was zero budget. It was just like, we can't allocate money to, because this is just like, Could be completely wasted. So it was like, how do we do it in ways that are effective, that will give us a conviction to put money behind it? And it was done in a very organic, low budget, kind of just like person to person connection. Right. How can we build together? That's cool.
0: And are you reaching out personally to these influencers, or is it other people on your team that are kind of.
1: At this point now, it's a lot of other people. I think, like, over the past, you know, I think there's some loose numbers. I think over the past year, we may have worked with, you know, around 5,000. So it's like become a little bit more processed and system-oriented sure. You can't do now. that
0: all day yourself. Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> but like a lot of, uh, you know, majority, if not all of the people that we work with that are the most established people and the most powerful people are genuine personal relationships that we've developed over the years. Or it's like, and, uh, you know, I just ran into someone and I'm friends with her sister. Like we'll, we'll, we'll like spend time and, uh, you know, do running together mm-hmm. or whatever it may be. Sure, sure. And uh, we're friends, you know, and have relationships outside. So. That's
0: great. Now, so much has evolved in your business and the industry where you were just selling other people's clothes for the first however many years to you decided to do your own brand, right? You started yes. to hire your own designers in house, manufacture, you know, create your own brands. Now you have 13, I think you said. Yes. What's the challenge been? I guess since like 2012, there's been, it seems like thousands of new brands. You yeah, know? definitely. It almost seems like there's thousands of new brands every year that come out in fashion. Maybe I'm wrong here, but it just seems like, Tons of new brands, and then every influencer now wants to have their own brand. So how do you deal with that competition? Is that a challenge where maybe some of the influencers you've been working with and sponsoring or helping out now are, I'm assuming some of them have their own legging lines or whatever, their own brands. Is that right? Definitely. How do you manage that when each influencer is now like, you know what? I'd rather not promote you anymore because I got my own brand. What's that like?
1: I think it's dynamic, and I think every situation is unique, like no doubt there are so many brands coming out, and it seems like across in the fashion industry, but across everywhere, I feel everywhere. like everything's so much more accessible, You know becoming manufacturing isn't what, how challenging it was 20 years ago. It's, it's really, easier to do it's a little bit people. more commodified. So I think levels a playing field, which is amazing in many ways, why we're able to create our own brand so powerfully is that we have the competitive advantage is that we have a lot of data we can see that oh wow people are really rapidly clicking on this category and we don't have a good selection here let's go make some stuff so it's not really like what the designer and the human creative is just, i want to do this it is What's the data want? and opportunity then layered in with someone who can interpret that very well so that's why we're able to so you're almost doing these this brands. you're doing the same thing you did in 2003 you're Pretty finding much. what's
0: the data, where's the opportunity, what do people want, and then you're selling them that. Yes. And you're just the, doing The core principle now. is... The, yeah. the
1: corporate, you're right. That's it. I actually didn't put, it, didn't put that together, but the core principle is you know, exactly the same. It's like, people wanted premium denim then, you yes. found
0: the right partner, and now you're
1: just like, oh, they want this now, let's go create it. Exactly. And then now there's a more nuanced version of right. like say with denim where it's like people want the specific type of denim and we knew it, so then we created it and it's been... That's crazy. Great, but that, I didn't put that to, uh, that parallel there. But yeah, all we're doing is really just listening to the consumer and and trying to understand and give mm-hmm. them what they want. Mm-hmm.
0: Get recruiter the smartest way to hire and what's the biggest challenge for you right now that you face? Is it all the competition is it just there's so many brands out there is it the influencers are now starting their own thing and they're taking their audience with them Is it just
1: scaling what's the what's the challenge for you I think the real thing is that like this isn't ha- hasn't always been the case, but I think that right now we're in a position where In times past, I always would identify, this is a gap that we need to fill. In times past, it was, we weren't always good at influencer marketing. So it was like, we have to figure this out. Before, we had no clue about how to make clothes, so we had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like, able to layer the stacks of different competencies, and I think that now the challenge is, is making sure they all work together and are able to grow and scale at the same time. It's a different type of challenge, and I think that's why I get so, I'm still so excited about everything, because now that, you know, as soon as you figure something out, there's a new challenge and there's always opportunity for growth. We're blessed with, yeah. you know, a lot of opportunities. So, yeah. so really coordinating everyone as like a no longer scrappy startup entrepreneur. entrepreneur now it's more like a, a little bit more of a larger company CEO kind of responsibilities of management and training and, and culture and integration, I think. Uh, but, but it's fun because my team is awesome. And yeah. I think there's a lot of culture, a lot of like camaraderie and there's not a lot of cattiness and infighting and politics. It's like everyone is focused and everyone enjoys working with each other. So it's like kind of like, you know, like a, a, a high-functioning sports team when we're all yes. in it together and rolling. So That's it's great. challenging but fun. That's great. How many employees do you have? I actually just got a report yesterday. So I think 749.
0: Amazing. And how have you evolved into, again, being an entrepreneur by yourself to now running an organization with that many employees? Where did that take from you?
1: You know, that's the other benefit is that, you know, the fact that I have been doing this for, you know, 14, 15 years, I have had the luxury of time to grow. It wasn't like overnight, the whole world changes or one year later, the company explodes and I'm in a totally different space. It's been this steady, long journey. So before it was really roll up your sleeves figure out how to do the you know the process figure out how to do the work do a lot of it yourself and then build the process and get other people to do it and and, and make it you know scalable and then I've had to do that my partner and I have had to do that in different areas over time where first it was website design and buying and then later on it became more the planning aspect of things and digital marketing then later on it ended up being brand marketing and later on it ended up being manufacturing clothes so for me building the different aspects and companies of the organization took a lot of time and then now I do feel that the team is good all the positions I need are there there's a few things that we're layering sure, in sure. and now it's just like the orchestra of everyone working together <laughs> right, well, right. which is chaotic <laughs> <laughs>
0: right exactly well, who would you say is the most influential person in your life growing up? Someone who made you who you are today?
1: Early on, my dad was definitely influential on me in that, in a different way, in that the Asian kind of household. And it's de- it was definitely. um so you grew up in uh, Malaysia, is that right? I was born in Malaysia, but yep. grew up out over here. Okay. And I think uh, in the Asian, at least in the culture that I grew up, it was a little bit more of like stoic mask. It was really not share your emotions. It was really that, you know. So, it wasn't really through like communication and kind of like traditional, you know, teaching, but my dad. Showing
0: affection and communicating your affection and things like that. Yeah. And
1: like really like teaching a specific lesson or really. But what he really showed me hands down was, you know, hard work. Yeah. It was just work ethic. And that was one thing that I knew it was this. It was a responsibility. And I'm, you know, happy to see that role model. It was like times were tough. Well, the only job is in Santa Barbara. So we got to commute to Santa Barbara. Right. And then work, and then, oh, during that time, it's tough. You still have to work on the weekends to do work on the weekends just to keep level and you gotta do what you gotta do. So I think that was like, that really, really resonated. I really internalized that. And I think that to my, till this day, that really, uh, really influenced the person I, sure. I've grown up to be. And sure. I think, you know, actually, I don't know, even know if I've ever told him that. I hope he listens and yeah. and hears that. i uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: what about your mom? <laughs> Biggest lesson she taught you?
1: I think she really was able to teach me a lesson, but skill was really, listening and really understanding people. I think it was like, you know, she is uh, the type of person where she's like, we'll talk a lot, but also is always able to develop a lot of relationships with people in terms of just like having that empathy and understanding where they're coming from and how you can help people out and why people are acting a certain way and how do you build. So I think those two things together are like, the blended are kind of the foundation of why am I able to yeah. grow and succeed. Sure, sure. What do you think it's going to
0: have to take from you to still learn in order to take your business to where you want it to be? What do you mean by that? What do you still need to learn? What do I? S- or what lesson do you need to take on? Or what do you need to let go of within yourself in order for you to take your business to the next level you want it to be at?
1: Well, I think the one thing that very recently I started to focus on is that, that work ethic aspect was always there and it's yeah. there. But it's also like, balancing that. It's like you can't be like at ten all the time. It's and you can't push everyone to be ten all the time. I don't think it's capable for us to succeed in the next level by just everyone outworking everyone. In the earlier days, you could I felt like it's essential. Like that was like the core competency in the the day one. We're like we're two guys with nothing to do but work all day and all the energy in the world. So that was but now to get to that next level, it can't be just like, you know, our teams are Happy, and I don't know if they're happy, but our teams are committed that when it's right. time to go, it's go time, yeah. and everyone you know looks back, like, we're going to do this, and there's like a really sense of, like, we're doing this together. Sure. But I'm trying to now, at this point, really minimize those times where everyone has to be, like, buckled down and duke it out and really slug right. through the challenges. I think now it's really, like, what's the elegant, simple way for us to accomplish the goal without burning out the of team course. and challenging yeah. everyone and having to push everyone that to succeed just on that sheer willpower i think it's going to be how do we succeed and achieve even greater results but in an elegant fluid way yeah. that's smoother and more enjoyable for all of us because if it's not enjoyable like what's what's the point yeah what's the yeah. point
0: i like that in a world where it seems like every entrepreneur wants to start a company and then sell it within three to five years how have you been consistently excited about your business for 15 years when it seems like you're kind of like an old business now if you're around for 15 years. Yeah, you didn't, yeah. didn't sell yet, right? Definitely. So how have you stayed, and, and what's your advice as well? How have you stayed inspired every year? And what's your advice to younger entrepreneurs that are like, oh, I just want to build this and sell it in three years?
1: I don't know. I think it's a number of different things. I think it's really complex. I think one thing for me is that the people on our team through and through, you know, the people I work with directly or the people that I continue to meet in, you know, in the organization, like there's a culture that resonates and I really enjoy it. Like I can't imagine not working with mm, these people. You right. know, I think that's something there. Also from a business perspective, we've always been fans of the long term. And I think ultimately when you're focused on the long term, when you're executing in, in the present, I think that's when the big magical results can happen. I think that, you know, that was something that we, uh, my partner and I, you know, from day one, and it's interesting, we were you know, like 22, 23, was like, let's build a business we want to own forever. When you want to own it forever, if you ever change your mind, it's going to be very valuable versus trying to build a business that you're trying to sell. Well, if the people you're trying to sell to aren't interested or if the world changes. I think honestly, you know, that was influenced by us coming into the workforce and the entrepreneurial kind of like community in the first recession in 2000, 2001. We were in that world where everyone was trying to build this company to sell it to so-and-so or to do so-and-so. And it was really kind of like a short-sighted kind of play. And if you can't you know do that and you can't go there, the world changes, then you end up with nothing. The business collapses. Exactly. Yeah.
0: You get burnt out, you're bored, you're whatever.
1: Yeah, so, you know, or, or like the potential acquirers, end up, you know, which you have no, you know, no control of their business may evolve. So with us, we always had that long-term mentality. And I think that's to this day, I think I'm um, smart. One of the rare ones who says that, like, I think I want to do this forever. I think we're also just so lucky that the opportunities keep coming and coming. And I think, you know, there's a wealth of opportunities that we can pursue. And it's like really our responsibility to stay focused on what we have to do. But I could definitely see myself doing this forever as long as the opportunities sure. for growth are still there.
0: I like it, man. So what advice would you give to young entrepreneurs who want to start their own thing? What advice would you say to them? Is there any principles you would say? Is it to build something to hold on to forever? Is it that you would want to? What else would you offer advice to?
1: I think there's so many different ways. I think there's so many, like ultimately understanding what you want to do. Because I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with building a business and trying to sell it. You know what I mean? Certain type of businesses... And opportunities may be ripe for that, and I think that might be really smart in certain zones, so I think that really aligning what your goals are with kind of what the market opportunity is, and making sure that those go together you know it could, you know whether it could be starting like the awesome donut coffee shop that's like really awesome and you're into it you know and you delight your customers, well, is that like you know a success to you or is it like you have to scale it to be 500 locations nothing wrong with either of those but it's like understanding that and ensuring that the opportunities out there really make sense sure sure
0: I like it man this is called the three truths we're getting to the final questions here it's called the three truths and this is uh, if it's the end of the day for you many years from now you've done everything you want to do in your life you've built the business you want it to be you've achieved everything you've made your parents proud for achieving what they want you to do because I know that's important in the Asian community right of course you've done all those things but for whatever reason, it's all erased. Everything has gone. And all the interviews you've done, the content you put out there is gone. So people don't have your information, your words anymore. And you got a piece of paper and a pen to write down three things you know to be true. The three lessons you've learned from your life that you would pass on to other people. And this is all they would have to remember you and your information by. What would you say are those three lessons or three truths?
1: Uh, It's a challenge. I wish I was uh, more prepared here. (laughs) Well, I think one thing for me that's important is we're always so metric focused, you know, myself, you know, no doubt. But ultimately, the human aspect of things is super important. So it's not just the business that we built and the numbers that we achieve, which is something I think about, you know, every day. But it's also who I did it with and how they were uplifted and benefited. I think that's super important to me and to the way we go about business is that it's all of us doing this together. Everyone who's committed to what we're doing, we're committed to their lives and their happiness. And that's something I'm extremely proud of in our company. So it's like not just what we did, but it's also who did it, who did I do it with and how did they benefit? Yeah,
0: it's great. So that's number one. Yes. Okay.
1: What's the next two? The other one, I think this is maybe a little bit newer lesson for me is that you don't have to sacrifice your personal life and your health for your professional career. And I think that's something that I see a lot of people doing. I've been the guiltiest of it at so many different times, whether it's not being able to be in a good relationship because it's so secondary to the professional or sometimes neglecting health because the professional career takes you know precedence. I think that's it all goes together. I think there's a harmony when all three of those aspects come together and that's when a healthier, happier life really comes together. When you're healthy, you have great relationships and you have a thriving professional career, there's no priorities, it's all one. And I think that was, uh, learned that one the hard way. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so 12 years
0: of yeah. slugging it out, yeah.
1: Definitely. Okay, that's number two and the third truth or lesson. The third truth or lesson. I think this is somewhat related to the second point. And if this is something that's like I'm trying to put a lot more attention to is that the hard work and the grind and and that effort, there is obviously huge value to that. But at some point, that's not the goal. And actually enjoying it is is like, you know, this is super cliche, but enjoying the work, enjoying everything is more important than achieving it. It's no point of we build a business that's this big or whatever, how many billions of dollars. If I didn't enjoy the process of building it, then it was, you know, rather pointless. And I think, you know, super cliche, but also challenging to really internalize. That's (laughs) a personal challenge. I think that's for me, this year was a very challenging year in terms of like professional challenges. It was a very successful year in terms of the metrics that, you know, the goals that we've achieved. But other aspects, I think I didn't do as good of a job in that I really was a little bit too intense and focused. Which detracted from my ability to enjoy it. And looking back, it should have been a more fun year. Looking back, and I really feel like I didn't really, you know, wasn't quite, you know, fully present to really enjoy what in a great year. It was really, I look back and remember the hard work and the struggle, which is important, but it should be mixed in with that enjoyment and fun. So that's the goal this year is to maintain this intensity but also enjoy it much, much more. And I think that's something which goes back to, it's very similar to that balancing of everything.
0: What are you committed to creating then every month to ensure you do that? How are you going to keep yourself accountable on that?
1: It's the balance. I think it's going to, you know, in terms of like prioritizing, ensuring health. And it's also, so like working out and eating well, you know, the super fundamental basics, investing more into personal life. I think it's easy for me to, to, just work and not, not, you know, as a single guy, just not put as much energy to to nurture that aspect of life and really make a little bit more um, better planning. Like, I can plan work and, like, I have plans, you know, that go out m- many years and things, but, like, I'm bad about planning, like, how am I going to enjoy this weekend? Or can I get my friends together to go on a vacation in three months? Those are the things that are always, like, the best moments. Right? So if you look back and those are the things that I... T- t- those are my favorite times when you're traveling with your friends... But at the same time, I don't even put that much energy to make those moments happen. So I think that's another Mm -hmm. thing that I'll try to do a lot better. That's great. That's great man,
0: where can we connect with you online personally? Where do you like to hang out?
1: I'm probably more you know, Instagram. So at mmente, you can find me there, drop by, say hello. I'm always uh excited to hear from everybody. And of course, if you're into um women's clothing and men's clothing, you know, we at revolve.com is you know the main business, and actually we have a, a designer business, higher end designers, fwrdforward.com as well, where our men's selection there is. Say, hey, Louis, you got to check it out. That's our men's
0: F-W-R-D selection, yes, fwrd.com is the men's.
1: Stuff. It's it's men's and women's, but the the men's selection is She's real there. good over there. It's Not on revolve. It's there's some stuff, but forward is really you know it's got the got the good, good stuff. stuff. Yeah, right. I'm going there and picking up some Perfect. stuff tonight.
0: Awesome. Well, before I ask the final question, Michael, I want to acknowledge you for everything you've built over the last 15 years and your ability to be aware and recognize the things that you've struggled with. I think there's a lot of people when they build something that big they lose themselves and they forget to take care of their health and their personal relationships. So for your clarity and awareness around the importance of humans and your team, the importance of humans in your life and your health, is a great reminder for all of us. So I want to acknowledge you for that and all you've done to inspire people. Thank you so much. Yeah, man.
1: Thank you for everything. You know, yeah, we've all you know. I have a big group of friends who are, you know we all like to you know help each other. And you've done so you know your work. You know the books and the podcast. We've all learned so much from. And I think a lot of the you know you know a lot of the things that you know I was mentioning. I feel is because you think about it in a similar way. There's like very few sources where I can be inspired or I can learn about you know health. Relationships and business. There's a lot of business, but it's treated separately. But I think I've learned so many times from you and from Mike. You know, my own experience is that like, the same things that make us weak in our personal life also are the same things that make us weak in our professional life. And I think integrating those lessons learned are things that I've really started to see as I get older. Versus, it's usually compartmentalized. And I think that's I know I see a lot of that from you, and I see that you know from the books. I see a lot of a lot of the challenges with masks it's in your personal life it's in your professional life right. and different ones and so it's uh,
0: learned so much from you so
1: honored right. and happy to Appreciate be here it, thank man. you so Appreciate much it. of
0: course we've got one final question we'll let you go and that's what's your definition of greatness
1: I think greatness comes from happiness and happiness comes from making other people happy and ultimately being your authentic self and, and appreciating and being happy with the person you are in the life that you have in front of you there you go. Michael Mente. Appreciate it, man. Thank you, man. You, man. Thanks, it's been brother. awesome. This Thank you so much. This was great.
0: Ah, oh, the movement of greatness is strong, and I continue to be inspired by all the people we bring on here. If you guys are inspired by this episode, let me know. Take a screenshot right now and tag me on your Instagram story, at Lewis House. The link for this to let your friends know is lewishouse.com slash 583 again you can share it out on twitter on facebook instagram just tag me and let me know so i can respond back to you and we can have a conversation over on social media the full show notes and all the things we covered and talked about the quotes from michael the video is back at lewishouse.com slash 583 share it with your friends we've got to get this message out there We've got to let other people know that they can have that inspiration, the tools, the strategy to help them grow their business, help them grow and launch their ideas, and live a bigger, better life. Again, it means the world to me that you guys continue to show up each and every week to support the School of Greatness. And my only request is that you implement and take action on at least one idea each time to improve your own life, your own business, your health. Whatever the subject we're talking about, that you implement it in your life, and then you share it with a friend and let them know how it impacted you and how it supported your life. That's how we continue to grow this message, is by you guys taking action, seeing big results, and then letting your friends know. Again, this is a free podcast. So again, thank you for all of your support. And the link is lewishouse.com slash 583 for all the full show notes, the resources, the talking points, The video interview, all that good stuff. And Doug Ellis said, if your business comes from relationships, then relationships should be your business. I want you to evaluate the relationships in your life. How are you serving people? How are you giving to them? Are you a one-sided transaction? Are you only looking for things to get out of relationships as opposed to give? Relationships are going to be the key to making this year great for you in your personal life, and in your business. It's all about relationships. Everything we do is relationships. So I hope you guys are optimizing the ones you're in and adding new people in your life who can support your vision that you can support as well. I love you so very much. And as always, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great.